Amen. As you are returning to your seats, if you would open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. So good to have the Coopers with us, missionaries to Brazil. Amen. We honor and bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. And if you don't know, this is Jessica and Julie's mom and dad. We're so glad they're here and on deputation. We'll be doing some deputation across our state and across the United States. Amen. We're glad they have stopped in today. Amen. 1 Peter 1, verse number 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love to the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God. Which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. For just a few minutes I'm going to preach on this title today. The Enduring Word of God. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you Lord for your word. Thank you for this church, God. Thank you for your spirit. God, I thank you that your word is appointed and anointed for this moment. And I pray on the authority of your word and name that every spirit of hindrance would be bound and cast out. And Lord, you would loose your peace throughout this place. Let us all hear and walk in your spirit today and not in our flesh that we would apply your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Also good to see Brother Arthur back there. Amen. He's from Alabama and up doing some work. God bless you, brother. Amen. So glad you're here as well, attending the church there in Alabama. Uh, and a good, great man of God. Praise the Lord. Well, if you haven't known it or figured it out yet, fads come and go. You know, and if you've lived long enough, you've, you've known that. And it's, in, it's interesting to me how, you know, I've, I've, I've lived long enough to start seeing some fads come back. There's some I hope never come back, but, but there are some that are starting to reemerge, and it's being called vintage. And uh, that, well, okay, great. If that's what you want to call it, it's, it was great 30 years ago, too. Uh, how many of you know technology advances? It, it, it's, in fact, it's, te- it's rapidly uh, increasing at a rate that by the time you've purchased the latest model, there's a better one already in production. I read the other day an article where information is doubling every 12 hours. That blows my mind. Blows my mind. But there's one thing that doesn't change like a fad. There's one thing that cannot be improved on like a newer model. And that is the enduring word of God. It worked. When Jesus spoke it, it worked. When it was first written, it worked. As we have preached it, it works in Brazil. It works in America. It works everywhere. Amen. Nations have attempted to ban God's word, but it finds its way into the hearts of those who are hungry for deliverance. Amen. And salvation. 
People have mocked it, burned it, and abandoned God's Word. But it still remains the anchor of our souls and remains the pillar of truth. Hallelujah. No matter what people say about the Word of God or what they do against it, the Bible tells us every Word of God proves true. Amen. For the Jews, and and specifically the religious leaders, through their strict adherence to traditions which were not necessarily established in the Word of God, these religious leaders wound up restricting and restraining the full power of God's Word. You can read about it in Mark 7. They loved darkness more than they loved light. And when the living Word incarnate, the light of the world, walked among them, they chose to remain in their sin rather than repent and be saved. We can read that in John 3. But when Peter writes this epistle... He addresses a people who have done the opposite of what these evil religious leaders did. The ones to whom Peter wrote loved God's enduring word. And here's what set them apart uh, uh, from these religious leaders. The first thing is they had a purified obedience. 1 Peter 1.22, the first part of it. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Can I tell you that obedience is God's love language? Amen. Obedience is God's love language. You want want to please God? Just obey His Word. Do what it says. I I love it when I hear people say, well, if if God gives me a personal conviction about it. You don't need a personal conviction to obey God's Word. Amen. The way to purify your soul is to obey God's truth. The first part of verse 22 literally means you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. About a month ago, May 9th and 10th, I celebrated my 41st new birth birthday. I was nine years old and on a Sunday night, the evangelist said, May 9th, 1982, he said, if anybody else wants the Holy Ghost in this revival, come down now. And I walked down and stood to his left, my right of the pulpit, and there God filled me with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I repented. I spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. I can still remember what it felt like that first night, how beautiful it felt. I can still remember mom and dad walking all over the church trying to find me and how excited I was to tell them, I spoke in tongues tonight. Amen. The next day, May 10th, 1982, at a Christian academy, I told the pastor, and he baptized me in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For the remission of my sins. I can still remember the feeling of being baptized and the refreshing that it felt. Not just the water, but but the the act that was going on and the, the fact that he was cleansing me. And I felt light as a feather. Amen. How many can remember, if you've been born again, what that felt like? Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Whether it was 41 years ago like me or, or more or less, you can, you can remember that. I'm, I'm so glad I obeyed God's word. I'm so glad I was purified by the Holy Spirit. And I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. And by the way, if you're not born again, today's the day of salvation. Right now is the accepted time. This can be your spiritual birthday if you want it to be. Amen. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You can be free from the, the guilt and the shame of the sin in your life. You can put on Christ today. You can speak with tongues as the Spirit gives utterance today because it's still a gift that is available for you today. You can join the family of God today and celebrate your personal Pentecost and you can experience it today. Hallelujah. Now, 
Here's what you have to do. You have to begin with purified obedience to the Word of God through the Spirit. But that's just the beginning. And if you are born again, and, and if today becomes your spiritual birthday, that's just the beginning. You see, once you're born again, once you have purified yourself, once you've had that purified obedience, the next thing is you begin to love everybody. Look at verse 22. And unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Hallelujah. I, I can tell you, everybody I've ever seen, uh, the, the first initial moment after they've repented, after they've been filled with the Spirit, they just love everybody. They just want to hug everybody. Why? Because there's something special. He forgave me of my sins. He, he washed them away. I, I, just, I just want to love everybody. Here's the problem. Some of us, 41 years later, maybe need a refilling of that. Well, come on now. How do we love others, though? Well, he tells us, with unfeigned love. That literally means without hypocrisy. Genuine, authentic. It means not a phony, sincere behavior free from hidden agendas or selfish motives. I love you because, period. There is, there's no conditions. There's no hidden agendas in my pocket. Just love you. Unfeigned love with a pure heart. This means free from every admixture of what is false, completely sincere. In other words, purely and fervently. This is a verb which means to stretch out the hand. Thus it means to be stretched out, to be earnest, to be resolute. That's how you love one another. But it's deeper than that. I can imagine when the Holy Spirit anointed Peter to write this, I can imagine he went back in time to a last supper when in John 13, 34, Jesus said these words, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So how do we love others? Pure heart. Fervently, unfeigned love, but also the way Jesus loved us. Oh, I know that's not our running. I know that ain't swinging from the chandeliers, but that's good preaching. We're to love each other the way Jesus loved us. Amen? Praise God. Did you know that on that very same night, two more times, Jesus would say, to love one another. You can read about it in John 15, 12, and 17. Although Paul was not there around that table that night, when he wrote in Romans and Thessalonians, he also said to love one another. And did you know that in John's epistles, 1 John 3, twice, 1 John 4, three times, and 2 John 1, one time, six more times, John says, love one another. This totals 13 times that Jesus and his apostles tell us to love one another. I think loving each other is important. I'm all for getting the Holy Ghost. I'm all for preaching about the new birth. I'm all for people speaking in tongues. But I'm also for people loving one another. I'm also for people walking out and saying, I've got a new experience and I'm going to let that turn into love. If 
tongues is the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, then bearing the fruit of the Spirit is the second evidence. Ah, and how many of you know what the fruit of the Spirit starts with? Did you know in the original Greek, it's actually the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then the qualities of joy and long-suffering and peace are attributes of love. If we would just love one another, we'd have joy. We'd have peace. We'd have, oh, come on, somebody. Amen. When you're full of God's Spirit, you're full of God's love. Amen. Ruby said no. Oh, she said love. Oh, okay. I thought she said no. She said love. Amen. Love, baby. That's right. Preach. You got to be full of love. Well, I'll never forget when I was in Bible college, eons ago, we had a professor. He was one of my favorite. But you got to remember when you're in class with a bunch of students, you got to be careful how you say things. Well, he was talking about Isaiah, his favorite prophet. The class was prophets. It was Brother Nielsen. And did you ever have any classes with him, Shan? Brother Nielsen? Okay. Anyway, Brother Nielsen gets up and, and, and he says, Isaiah is my favorite. He, he's a great prophet. He prophesied Jesus, blah, blah, blah. He, he was full of it. And of course, to a bunch of college students, we're all snickering, you know. Uh, but, you know, now that I'm getting a little bit older, I'm, I, I read about people that, that were appointed in the church and they were full of faith and full of wisdom and full of the Spirit. Can, you t- can I tell you, the more full we have of Mm-hmm. The more full we are of God, the less room we have for other things. Maybe if we would just fill up with the Spirit, fill up with love, we wouldn't have time. Tar- oh, come on, somebody. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to preach it. Woo! Lord have mercy. By the way, when you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're full of God's love, it becomes easy to love like Jesus loved even when people betray you deny you, run away from you in your darkest trial, or don't reciprocate your love. In my 50 years of life, I've learned a valuable lesson, that those who seem to deserve love the least need it the most. And I've found that when I love them, I feel better anyways. So it's a win-win. So why not love one another? And, and I found that when I love people despite my own circumstances or their circumstances or my personal feelings, that God always seems to make up the difference. You see, what's so amazing about grace is that it enables born-again believers to fervently love one another with a pure heart. Purified obedience and loving one another are two ways that you reveal that you love God's enduring word. If you don't believe that, just read John's epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Because if you don't love your brother whom you've not seen but say you love God, you're a liar. I'm not saying that. That's not TCO bylaw. That's Bible. God anointed John to say that, so that's true. Now, purified obedience is one way of loving others and Loving God's uh, others are, and, and his word is another way to show that. But what I'm about to reveal to you is why it is possible to obey and love. Let's look at verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, 
by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Hallelujah. That means the very first people that spoke in tongues in the book of Acts, when the Spirit was poured out on that 120 gathered in the upper room, to the, to the one that is receiving the Holy Ghost now, wherever in the world. It's by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. That's why it endures forever. That's why you can preach it in any language. That's why you can preach it in any setting, whether it be a church or outside or across a table or at a Starbucks. You can preach the Word of God and it'll save souls. It'll save lives. It'll change people because it's the enduring, incorruptible Word of God. Incorruptible means not subject to death or decay, everlasting. Can I tell you, there's a lot of things that are going to, in fact, everything is going to pass away. But His Word is forever settled. It's not going to pass away. And they that do the will of God also are not going to pass away. If you're born again, you may succumb to death and decay of this body, but you'll be given a glorified body when the last trumpet sounds. Hallelujah. Abraham is called the father of faith. He's also called the father of many nations, not just a single ethnicity. We know that Isaac was born by the miraculous promise of God. And if you study that out in Galatians and you study that out in Genesis, you find that what it's saying, it's comparing to salvation. We're not born of corruptible seed like Hagar and Ishmael. We're born of miraculous seed as God turning on their bodies again to produce and we are like that promised seed ourselves. That's why Romans 9 calls us the children of promise counted for the seed. That's why Galatians 3.29 says we're heirs according to the promise. And that's why Galatians 3 says we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Yes. Hallelujah. Ultimately, Jesus is the Word. Therefore, He is the incorruptible seed. That means that the seed died and was nailed to a tree. That means that the seed hmm, was buried in a garden tomb. I'll tell you, the devil ain't got wits. He puts a seed in a garden. Something's going to happen. You see, the seed conquered death, hell, and the grave when he arose early on the third day. And because the seed did all that, we can dance on an empty grave. Oh. And, and, and I'm going to steal your thunder, Brother Luke, like you came and said to me. It's empty so we can be filled. We can dance on an empty grave so that we can be filled with the Spirit, filled with the love of God. Oh, hallelujah. And since that incorruptible seed now lives inside of those born again, the world's going to pass away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God. Well, the will of God is the word of God. He that does the word of God, you could say, abides forever. Just as death had no power over the seed, death has no power over us. It's not the end. Amen? For those who are born again, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. 
What's Thessalonians saying there in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? He's saying that we have a hope because we're going to live again. Because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I get that we grieve the loss of a loved one. I understand that. I, I, I miss my loved ones. I understand that. But listen, if they're born again, if they're born again of the incorruptible seed, I have hope that they're going to hear the trumpet. I have hope that if I'm alive and remain, I'm going to meet them in the air to be caught up to be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, that same spirit that fell in the upper room is here today. It can fill you today. Amen. You can become the promised seed of the Lord. The praise team would come and join me. Amen. As they're coming, those of you that were at Nebraska Conference, Superintendent has to preach, you know, Thursday night, and whew, wow. I did not realize I'd preached that long. It, well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> but had a, a minister in our district said, I want you to come and preach that message at our church. I want our church to hear that message. And he didn't ask. But I offered, I said, well, I'm going to whittle it down a little bit. Amen. I understand that, you know, in some contexts, of course, God was moving and prophetic things were happening. Amen. I'm, I'm kind of talking about that because the praise team's coming up and giving you hope that I'm not going to preach an hour and a half. Amen. But I want to share something with you as, as they get ready to sing regarding this incorruptible seed. Put up verses 24 and 25, if you would, please. For all flesh is his grass, and the glory of men are man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. You see, God's word, Psalm 119, 89 says, it's forever settled in heaven. Psalm 119, 103 says God's word is sweeter than honey. Psalm 119, 105 tells us that his word is a lamp and a light to our feet. Psalm 119, 160 says God's word is true from the beginning. Joel 2:11 tells us that God is the strong one who executes his word. Philippians 2:16 and 1 John 1, 1 explain to us he is the word of life. We read in Hebrews chapter 1 and 11 that it is God who created the heavens by His Word and it's by His Word that they're still held together. And we read in Revelation 19, 13 that His name is the Word of God. Can I tell you, God's Word is able to save and deliver and heal to the uttermost. Therefore, if you have a need today, I give you God's Word. If you need a miracle today, God's Word authorizes it. If you need comfort, God's Word provides it. If you need wisdom, God's Word reveals it. If you need hope, God's Word shares it. And if you need peace, God's Word gives it. And if you'll commit to a daily lifestyle of consistently loving and reading and studying and applying God's word, the long-term effects of joy are unspeakable 
and the glory is full. Amen. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, A Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. The key to victory is it is written. I found some research that's important to bring out to you today from the Barna Group, a reputable Christian research research, uh, group. When you read your Bible, listen to this. this, they, they, They did massive data compiled to come up with this. When you read your Bible, feeling lonely drops 30%. Whereas when you don't read your Bible, you're more likely to feel alone. When you read your Bible, listen to this, especially us men, we deal with this a lot. Anger issues drop 32%. Whereas when you don't read your Bible, you react irrationally to situations. There's, there's a few more. I only got about five or six here, but just bear with me. When you read your Bible, bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Whereas when you don't, you're more likely to have resentment toward others. When you read your Bible, feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Whereas when you don't read your Bible, you're, you're more likely to isolate yourself from God and stop responding to others' needs. These next two really blow my mind. When you read your Bible, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Whereas when you don't, you're less likely to share the gospel with others. And the last one here, listen to this. When you read your Bible, discipling others jumps 230%. Whereas when you don't, you're less likely to teach God's ways. They concluded their research by saying this, if you'll read your Bible at least four times a week, it will make drastic changes in your life. So I want to know today, as they begin to sing, how many are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to recommit to putting this first in my life. Is there one? Is there two? Is is there a father or a husband that will say, as for me and my house, Come on, are there some people that will say, you know what, I'm going to dig it back out and I'm going to look up and I'm going to study it and I'm going to treasure it because I want all those percentages to to affect me positively. I want to be a better person. I want to look into the Word of God and say, you know what, I could do better here. If that's you today, would you stand with me? If you're willing to commit. And and as they they sing, I wonder if we could just make a commitment to, to the Word of God. If you want to come around the front, carry your Bible with you. If you want to stand where you are, this whole sanctuary is now a prayer room. This whole sanctuary is now an altar. Come on, we know there's power in that name. We know that name because of the Word of God. So how many, come on, some are coming. Come on, bring your Bible with you. If you've got it with you, hold it close to your heart. Come on, I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to love it because it's going to break the chains of guilt and fear. There is power.